welcome to another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast, your home for interviews with authors, illustrators, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. I'm your host, Sam Saddam, joined by my co-host, Jasmine Gale. Hey, folks. Today, we're talking about memoirs. We'll have the author of one, Danya Zeriksari, on shortly. I think memoirs have a a really interesting place in self-publishing because it's by nature a book that only you can write. Uh, So I feel like it's the place where a writer's going to start. Uh, They can also be so varied in scope, you know, building upon themes to make a point and explain literally how you got to a certain idea. Yeah, one of the more beautiful things I love about memoirs is that they give a very unique lens on a world or a story that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. I've always thought that memoirs definitely take a more, you know, creative storytelling approach and autobiographies are more matter of fact and like reserved for well-known individuals. Okay. I was wondering if there was like a technical difference between the two. I feel like the memoir is, you know, really covers a short span of the subject's life or or maybe just a theme while an autobiography tends to be more step-by-step the whole story, you know? Yeah. So longer. Yeah. I suppose that's part of it. Uh, But what do you think is a good length for a memoir? They tend to be the same length as a novel that can range anywhere from like 50,000 to like 80,000 words. Uh, so that's like 125, 200 pages. Seems pretty reasonable. I'm uh, thinking of bi- biographies that tend to run a little bit longer, those, those massive bricks by Ron Chernow. Yeah, maybe trim down those thousand pages. Uh, so what's your favorite memoir? My current favorite memoir right now is um, a book called Heavy by Casey Lehman. It details his life growing up in the South and it's actually currently banned in some of the Missouri school districts right now. So it's very fascinating. And what's that about? So Casey Lehman grew up in Missouri and he details a lot about being a young black man in the South, dealing with racism, toxic masculinity, how to find love um, with all these conflicting social structures and ultimately gets at it in the root so much so that it's like, you know, kind of heavy. So I have to check that out. My favorite memoir is Persepolis. Uh, it's a great graphic novel. We mentioned it a little bit. I talked about it with Danya. Great graphic novel, or I guess graphic memoir, and also a movie. If you ever check that one out, uh, but it's about an Iranian girl uh, growing up there, and right when the Iranian Revolution was beginning. Also wanted to give a shout out to book baby author J.G. Daniel. He wrote Hate or Be Hated, which happened to be one of the first books I ever worked on for Book Baby. Uh, I ended up reading the whole thing. It's just a really interesting book about how the author's family's politics really affected his life growing up and stunted his ability to grow. That's available on Bookshop. Nice. It sounds like a really unique story. And speaking of unique stories, one of those that we're happy to bring you today is that of Danya Zeriksari. She's a book baby author, engineer, and filmmaker. She was born and raised in Iran, eventually leaving as a refugee and now lives in Houston. Her memoir, Tehran to Miami, was released last month, and it is truly a fascinating book. She told me how she came to write it. Yes, uh, mostly to bring awareness to the readers. Uh, my audience could be anyone in the world. <laughs> if, if they are a human being, they can read it and they can relate to the things that I'm talking about, which is mostly about faith, family, and a lot of cultural stuff, mainly with the Middle Eastern or Persian culture. 
how I started writing it is after I graduated as an engineer, I had some free time working at the oil and gas business after work or on the weekends. I would sit down and spend a good amount of time writing things down. Since this is my very first book, I had no idea how to write a book. So I, I had to actually, in the process, learn how to write a book. I feel like everybody's still in that learning process, <laughs> no matter how long you've been doing it. One of the things that I really liked about your book, you're very clear on context right away. So that really came through that you're trying to inform people about life in Iran. I've read a, a few different memoirs o- over the years where they, they kind of expect you to, to know the context. Well, your book, I feel like is probably written more for an American audience where you're not assuming that they're going to know everything. That's right. So I did initially assume a lot of things. And then I, over the last eight and a half years, I would say I've had my book read by people from different ethnicities, backgrounds, people who have had a lot of education, whether it was in literature or uh, engineering, a lot of people who have been exposed to diverse communities and people who have not. I've had people from European backgrounds, American born and raised background, female, male, teenagers, and people well in their 60s read the book and give me a review. I'm not kidding when I tell you that every single person came back crying with the same question at the end, which I don't want to give it away. And they were all excited. And no matter if they were Hispanic, white, black, uh, Persian descent, they all felt the same way. They, they found something in there that gave them peace. And that's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, especially the way that Iran is represented in US media, you don't associate it with peace. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And that is why I wrote the book, because initially when I first entered this country, I was asked often why Iranians hate Americans. And with the little English I knew, I always tried to say, it's not the people, it's the government. And I still, I still believe the same thing. Because if you read my book, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you read it, but if others, when the others read it, they understand our fascination by the, uh, you know, for the West and how much we actually love the products of the West, Western world, which is Hollywood, music, dance, technology, whatever it is. That is something that I will definitely talk in the second volume of the same memoir, which is when we came here, I was, I was one time even asked, uh, where are you from? And when I said, I'm from Iran, uh, this guy asked me in an English class, well, you're too pretty to be a terrorist. And that was so shocking because I was like, I, I didn't know enough English to answer him at the time because I had just moved here like four months before that. But if, if, he, if I ever run into him again, I will just hand him the book <laughs> and tell him, man, read it because we actually, I actually came uh, you know, out of Iran because of the persecutions. And uh, you're telling me that I am, and it doesn't even match up because if anybody actually reads the news and follows the news closely, they understand that there has, to this day, have never been an attack by Iran, a terrorism attack. So, well, let's do some of that uh, contextualization here. So you were born in Iran. It was really an interesting time period uh, to be growing up. Uh, Can you give me a little bit of background there? Yes. So I was born and raised in Iran uh, in the 80s, late 80s. So it was right after the revolution, uh, 1979's revolution, which it was the downfall of the Shah and Shah left the country. 
and Khomeini came into power. Again, I do mention in my book, the very first page in the second paragraph, that if you are interested in reading about the revolution, the reasons and the, the, the reasons behind it and everything uh, about the revolution, please read uh, The Persian Night, written by Amir Tahiri, which is actually a very informative very easy to understand book. During the 80s, very soon after 1979's revolution, which was, I believe, in September of 2000, I'm sorry, uh, 1980 or 1981, actually, 1981, what happens is that Iraq attacks Iran. And so that's when the eight-year deadly, you know, (laughs) war starts. And what that brings for Iranians like me and my family is that there is a lot of scarcity of food, material, and energy. So I'm actually very good. I was telling my mom a couple of days ago when I was visiting, visiting her in New Mexico that I'm really good. And people often are surprised how good I am with navigating my path when it's dark in a room, when we lose electricity or at night when I can't turn on a light. Because I grew that sense a little bit more when I was a child. We lost a lot of electricity and we knew how to walk around or how to find items in the house when it's dark. So there is there was a lot of scarcity of food, uh, energy, as I mentioned, and that's, that's when the regime was actually establishing itself. So there was a lot of brainwashing in school and in, in society. So there was a lot of changes all of a sudden, a country that was that people were dressed like Westerners, they were wearing mini skirts and they were singing and they had Broadway shows type of style. And then there even there had music, they had cabarets and clubs and alcohol was legal and people didn't have to wear hijab and they could do whatever they wanted. All of a sudden, overnight, people had to wear hijab and people could no longer uh, drink alcohol, do the things that they uh, were doing before. And there is so much that I tell in my book about the things that uh, changed after the revolution during the war. And you use the term brainwashing. I, I think what was really clear in your book that what came with that was a very quickly uh, was religious persecution uh, that you had not really experienced. And then all of a sudden, people you knew were, were turning around and saying, oh, but you're not one of us. Absolutely. So before the revolution, I want to be very clear, because before the revolution, during the Shah's uh, time, Baha'is, which is a religious minority in Iran, they actually were being persecuted, but not as publicly and as not as harshly as it started after the revolution. So I, I want to be very clear, because a lot of people think when the Shah was in power, nothing was being done towards the Baha'is. No, there was. There was some persecution done towards the Baha'is. So as a Baha'i in Iran, which by the way, the Baha'i faith is uh, the second most spread religion in the world after Christianity. And what I want to say is that if you are a Baha'i in Iran, just like my short film actually portrays this as well, you are not allowed to attend any university and you're not allowed to have a job. What that means is that when you go to apply for passport, university, a job, the a form the form that they hand you always says, what is your religion? And it's like Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and then other. And if it's other, you have to check other and write what it is. And if you are a Baha'i, you get rejected. And there are times that Baha'is are persecuted because they can't even bury their debt and they can't, um, or 
the designated, uh, specially designated um, graveyards that have been given to the Baha'is, the cemeteries, uh, they get dug out by bulldozers or they get demolished somehow. They're suspected. So there's so much. They set the, their stores on fire. There's so much going on. Wow, that's, that sounds awful. So how, how old were you when you ended up leaving Iran? Well, uh, in, in 2005, 2006 time, a United Nation put some pressure on the government of Iran saying that you do have to allow the Baha'is to also participate in the university entrance exam, which is uh, actually done once a year. It's just like one, once a year, everybody goes and takes that test. So that is exactly when I graduated from high school. And I had uh, became a Baha'i on my own because I turned 18 at the time. My father is Muslim. My mother is Baha'i. So I, I actually studied the faith for four years before converting to or choosing my, my religion because religion is not a genetically, uh, you know, passed down idea or opinion, like I say in my book. So you have to choose for yourself, investigate for yourself. So I did do that. And um, I did study very hard for a year to take the entrance test. And when I did take the test, I did score high enough to actually go and study the majors that I wanted to. But there was a red stamp in the middle of the uh, a rejection stamp in the middle of the paper when they gave it to me, my result. When I picked it up with one of my friends that said, because of your religion, you're, you're not allowed to attend. The same year, they did allow some of the Baha'is to attend, but then they either expelled them on some silly, you know, excuse or didn't let them finish somehow. So it's, it's been very tough. So that was when you decided to study abroad? Well, the, the reason w- w- why I left is because my, well, religion in our family, my, my mother is Baha'i, my father is Muslim, and my third brother decided to become a Christian. <laughs> and and he is a, he's an inventor. So when he started applying his application to go abroad for the, this competition that they had in Belgium, uh, what happened is that they asked him, what is his uh, religion? And he said, I'm Christian. And they asked him, was your mother Christian or her father Christian? And he said, none of them. My mother is Baha'i. My father is uh, Muslim. And so then he became a target of religious people going after him and threatening him to kill him. So he left the country. And after a while, you know, because I became a Baha'i, my oldest brother became a Baha'i. We, he, he lost his job and I, I was not allowed to go to the university. So and, and it's like you can't go to university and you also can't get a job. So it's like, where am I going to get money from to survive or what is going to be my career? And since my brother, my youngest brother had left the country, we decided to move as a family as well, since we were the last family standing in the, in the, in the Iran. So we left. We left as re- religious minorities. We left um, and became refugees in Turkey. And then later on, we moved to U.S. And how long did that take just from the time you left Iran to actually being resettled? The total time that I spent in Turkey as a refugee was 15 months. I want to mention it was two very cold winters <laughs> in Turkey. It's really cold there, but it's also very beautiful. So you mentioned before we, when we talked that you had a couple of events that you had set up. Interested to hear about that. How did you go about setting up an event at a gym? <laughs> it doesn't seem um, like the natural place where somebody would expect a book event. 
Well, the LA fitness that is like five minutes away from my house is where I go to the gym. And I always saw the vendors uh, coming and setting up. And I, one time I asked the gym manager, I was like, is this a free thing you guys do? And they said, yes. And since they all knew me and they knew I was always like busy writing and busy, like promoting and everything, they said, don't you bring, you know, you bring your books here and do an event. And believe it or not, everyone that bought that book that night, I guess four out of five people that bought the book were were men and they were like oh my god my girlfriend or my wife would really like reading something like this whenever they read the description so that's one another one that happened just last weekend was at my favorite spot in new mexico whenever i go to albuquerque i make sure to spend some time at the my favorite cafe flying star cafe so i i contacted them and they they said of course you can come and set up and have your book signing events there other places are uh, there's another place in Houston called Phoenician Market. It's a food specialty. They are actually carrying my book. And uh, I told them that I was going to do a signing event. There's so many places that, I mean, sky is the limit for sure. And how do I come uh, to choose those locations is just by knowing that there's people that would be interested in uh, subjects as such. It's a little bit more unique than uh, than we hear, and I guess really the lesson is that you know wherever you're already at, <laughs> you know those are the people who are going to be interested in your story. You know, being that it is a memoir. So otherwise, what what, uh, what other type of things are you doing to promote this book? It seems like you're well, doing a lot of social media. Yes, I am. I I think you are tired of me tagging you guys, but uh, I I want you to know that I'm not going to stop. I think it's really good for the other book baby authors to see the activities as well as people who are working on their book and maybe following book baby to get encouraged to finish their book or do a post on it and get some energy and give some energy. I am running ads every once in a while on Facebook. So like right now, Persian New Year is coming coming up. So I will be running an ad in a couple of weeks on Facebook. And that is People really need to pay attention on how the ad is run because I did lose some money by choosing the country that I, you know, was cheaper. If there's a cheaper spot, they just start running it there. Other than that, I have created um, a QR code where and uh, designed my own posters and haven't had them laminated. So I sometimes leave them just around, like in stores or gym or wherever I go, and people just scan the QR code and they can go to the book baby shop or they can, uh, they can go to Amazon. They can go to anywhere that the book is uh, or my social media or Facebook page. Well, are, are you using book baby as the primary landing page since you get the better royalty right there? I, I do uh, switch to be honest with you, because a lot of people do get this course that they have to make a whole new account on book baby to purchase anything. But, but again, some people ask me, where do you want me to buy it from? And I tell them book baby, but a lot of people just say, Oh, I have Amazon. I want to get it from Amazon. So it just, I really switch. I give people the option. Yeah. There's definitely pros and cons of both. We're trying to direct people towards bookshop though. (laughs) Obviously that's the one that we believe in. (laughs) You mentioned uh, earlier that you were working uh, with a refugee program now in Houston. Was that the group that helped you, your family resettle or or is this something additional that you've been doing since? They did not help us resettle. I was originally living in New Mexico when I moved to US for seven years. I've been in Texas for almost eight. 
And I actually came across Houston Welcomes Refugees through my work. I currently work for Accenture as a consultant. And then they, they were just, uh, my coworkers were like, let's just do a food drive. And, I, and, and then I looked into it a little bit more and I was like, well, they need volunteers. And I, would, I don't want to say it's half and half. I might be wrong, but a lot of people in Af- Afghanistan, they speak, they whether speak Dari or they speak Pashto. I don't understand Pashto as much. I would say not at all even, but Dari is very similar to the Persian language, the, the Farsi language. So I, it took me three months to go through the interview hours of orientation and do a background check in order to give us one family to, to me and four or five other people. So I've visited with the family that they give us one family at a time and help them open a bank account, inform them of what, what is a credit card, how to get a driver license, just basic things that I would say people did not help me with. So now I know like identity theft is, is the biggest one, which refugees or people who don't speak the language are actually targeted for, oh, or really? older people are usually targeted for. So I help them with that as I translate for them if they need any. So we don't tie up the resources that the um, settlement, uh, resettlement places have. Through Accenture, we, I also figured out that there is over 150 online interactive free courses that are available to nonprofit organizations. So currently, I'm, I have contacted five different uh, resettlement organizations in Chicago, one in Austin and five more in Houston. And I'm trying to get them this uh, access to all these free online courses. Oh, that's great. And I imagine just watching the news right now, probably planning for an influx of Ukrainian refugees. Yeah, probably. And that's, that really, that's really sad what's happening in Ukraine. This morning, as I was going through my Instagram, I, I did uh, come across uh, this video that one of my friends, fellow refugee, we spent some time in uh, Turkey together as refugees. And we actually found each other after, I would say, 13 years um, <laughs> in Houston. We just ran into each other. And he was like, I know you. I was like, oh, my God, where do you know me from? It was so interesting because I said, hi, my name is Duny. He's like, I know you. We were refugees <laughs> together. And uh, he's an amazing man, very successful. And he had posted something today. It was a video on his story. And I watched and I started crying at seven in the morning because it was uh, a mix of edited version of mix of uh, like bits and bits of videos, news, or, you know, just people taping themselves and saying that this is not like a third world country or developing country. This is a, this is, um, I don't know, civilized country. And these are not a Middle Easterns or Afghanis and Iraqis. These are blue eyed, you know, blonde people that are dying. And I just started immediately crying. I'm like, what is the difference between a Middle Eastern person or a child dying, you know, or, or a Ukrainian child, God forbid, dying from this? I mean, when we bleed, we all bleed the same. There is no difference. I just want to bring awareness to people that if you are a Ukrainian refugee, if you're a Syrian, Afghani, or Iraqi, or Iranian refugee, for whatever reason you had to migrate to a new location, you are having the same emotions. You're displaced, and there's no worse feelings than being displaced. You feel out of place. And as I say in my book, 
This book is for the refugees that they spend time as a refugee and they're spending time as a refugee right now in camps or in the second country, as we call it, to get to the third country, which is their destination country, or refugees like me that have made it to the third country and are still craving for a feeling or a place to call home. And that is something that it doesn't come with a citizenship paper or a passport or a TSA pre-check. It doesn't. Being a refugee is like being homeless. It's a feeling. It's not a physical thing. Yeah, I think there's also definitely a parallel with uh, what you mentioned at the beginning of the interview between being able to recognize the difference between the people and their government and how they're acting. And so, you know, it's the Russian people too are also saying, whoa, whoa, you know, we don't like That's this. Right. That's right. And and I was saying the same thing to my family this last weekend. I said, I don't just feel bad for the Ukrainians. I also feel bad for the Russians. They are also distressed. Just like when the Iran-Iraq's war in the 80s was happening. Yes, a million Iranians died, as far as we know, and 500 Iraqis. But death is the the same. It doesn't matter which side it's from. Their mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and children suffered just like ours did. There is no difference. Hopefully uh, the leaders right now can be as empathetic as you have been. But to to, uh, bring this back to maybe some happier (laughs) subjects, you're working on two more books right now, you said. So the question to you is, are you going to publish them with Book Baby? I, I I hope so. Yes, for sure. I mean, I already know the process. The process was, I would say, very, I was very pleased with the customer service. And I would say I was very pleased with the person that helped me get the package. She was very patient with me and explained everything. And sometimes I asked the same question three times, uh, but she was still very patient with me and always called me back or answered my emails. So the team has been very responsive. So for sure, the second book is about an Iranian soldier that I've actually met in person. He lives here in Seattle. He was taken to Iraq as a prisoner of war, and he spent three years there. He was tortured for three years in, in the Iraqi camp. And so I have the foundation of the book already done. So now working on elaborating a little bit more. And since this is not my story, it takes me a little bit more energy to actually work on the book than, than if it was my own book. So that one uh, is very interesting how he actually came back to Iran and where he was tortured again, uh, which is very ironic. And it shows a different angle of war that I had never imagined it existed. So it, it, was, it has been very hard for me to work on that book because it's just so emotional. And the third book that I'm working on is the continuation of the first book that I wrote. So that one is is going to start from the time that I entered U.S. until just maybe a couple of years ago. I'm going to end it there. And what was the last good book that you read personally? Um, the last book I read, I don't read a lot of memoirs. That's funny is because because for a person who writes memoirs, probably should be reading memoirs. I read a lot of books that are like health related. Believe it or not, one of my favorite books is How Not to Die. <laughs> I know you're laughing. It's uh, it's but it's a bit, it's a very good book. I've read it like twice. I would say the book that I'm reading right now, actually, one of my very good friends uh, wrote it. It's called I Sex, Me Sex, We Sex, and it's about sex addiction. And I know it's a very interesting topic, but. I I have been reading it and I've been recommending it to a lot of my friends who have young children or not young children, just like teenage teenagers, like teenage life. 
because I would say the reason I am very interested in this topic is because Houston is like number one in human trafficking and sex trafficking. Human trafficking actually happens in like your own neighborhood. So I am very much aware of it and always follow the news on it and get like really depressed. So when my friend said that he wrote this book and he just published it in Amazon as an ebook, I was like, I started reading it just this past weekend. And that was Danya Zirik-Sari, author of Tehran to Miami, available in the Book Baby Bookshop now. She certainly got an interesting story to tell, huh? Yeah, I thought it was very profound and like incredibly insightful. So you've now done a, a lot of ads for Book Baby authors coming up on six months here at Book Baby. Do you have any conventions that you found on trying to promote memoirs? Yeah, I do. I typically try to identify like a main theme that captures the whole essence of the book. And I like work from there, you know, understanding a book's core message is key since you want that to resonate with your audience. So what about Danya? How would you target her book? Definitely anyone who has an interest in international politics or an interest in the history of Middle Eastern countries. And, and the culture more specifically, people interested in other Iranian authors, for sure. It's so easy to target, right, in Facebook. And then you also have the diaspora of Iranians who've left. Art-wise, I would pull out those illustrations in her book. Yes, those are pretty striking. That's really what drew me in. Run some ads with those and really promote the events that she's talking about, and that would do well. Of course, she is hustling already to get that next book out in true book baby fashion. Luckily, we can help her out as we can help you out, dear listener. If you're interested in self-publishing your memoir or any other book, we want to hear from you. Our staff is standing by at 877-961-6878 or info at bookbaby.com. Thanks again to our guest this week, Danya Zarek-Sari. You can find out more about her at linktr.ee slash Books. That's D-O-N-Y-A-Z Books. Of course, order her books at store.bookbaby.com, along with thousands of other independently published books. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating, a follow, a like, and share with all your friends. Jasmine, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. Until next time, this has been the Book Baby Spotlight. <laughs>